Welcome to You Don't Even Like This Band, a podcast about bands you probably don't even like. We hope you don't know this one. With your hosts, Adam Todd Brown, Andy Sell, and Travis Clark. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Steve Earle season of Unpops Music, A.K. A copper pod head, a K A, <laughs> the pod retent, retent, retenant, repent the top of the pod pentant, aka the podcast starts now. Yeah, shut up and die like a podcaster. <laughs> Still my favorite. Uh, pod Jerusalem. No, no, that was <laughs> that was that was good. Was it? I, I thought so. Okay. Thinking about burning the podcast down. <laughs> The Podway. Podhouse Roses. Exit Podcast. <laughs> People probably have by now, which is uh, unfortunate because we're doing this exact thing for another 45 minutes. Yes. Just throwing out possible names. Hey, how's everyone John been? John Walker's Pod. Okay. <laughs> how's everyone been since we recorded last? Uh, fine. Pretty good. You know, overall, uh, yeah, great. <laughs> Andy? Uh, I'm pretty good. I have... I, man, I got some Andy, water. Andy, tell us how you're feeling, Andy. <laughs> I need to know how you're doing, because I'm concerned about you. Andy! Answer uh-huh. your mother father. I finished my bag of Sour Bright Crawler's Very oh, Berry Flavor. Oh, good. That's so good. Everybody, welcome to Andy's Candy Review, mm-hmm. where Andy talks about his favorite candy. Andy, what candy are you reviewing today? Uh, Sour Bright Crawler's very berry flavor, and I gotta say, it's dandy. <laughs> That's Andy's candy review. He finds it dandy. This is actually what we're doing for the next 45 minutes. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. You know, I recently had a flavor of Mountain Dew called Cyclone that I, rec- that I later learned is a Speedway gas station's fountain exclusive Mountain Dew flavor, and it's pretty great. That's another review. That's that's been Andy's Soda Candy Review. <laughs> so we're talking about uh, an interesting time in Steve Earle's uh, musical career. Not so much his life. Well, his life, too, I'm sure. But uh, we're talking about the Jerusalem album and the Revolution Starts Now album. Uh, this is These are easily the two most political albums he's ever released, still to this day. They're also incredibly interesting production wise yeah i found yeah we'll talk about jerusalem first the right off the bat what did everyone think of the jerusalem album i absolutely loved it um i actually i rarely do this i actually wrote down a lot of notes about it about what i was thinking up during some of the songs but this album came out in september of 2002 yes which means less than 10 years before he was living on the street and then he and like the fact that he went from a guy that everyone had given up on to somebody who could make this kind of work of art in that amount of time is is unbelievable to me yeah especially when you take into account that this was i think his fifth album since getting out of prison mm-hmm. maybe his sixth so yeah he was incredibly active from the moment he got out of jail yeah and uh most of it's really good. Most of what he put out in this time is pretty great. Uh, Andy, what did you think of Jerusalem? 
I loved it. I thought, of course, I I think it's great. I I'm not sure of the two records which I like better because they're both you know they're doing kind of different things. I think Ashes to Ashes is maybe my favorite on there. I like Conspiracy Theory a lot as well. The Kind is really is See, that, unlike anything else on the record. That it's it's interesting that you say that because for me my least favorite songs are Ashes to Ashes and Conspiracy Theory just because the <laughs> choruses are so weird. Like I feel like Ashes to Ashes could have done without like the monster voiceover effect on the chorus. That that, that I mean, like the, again, like what Travis said about the production is really interesting production on this yeah, record. And it's interesting some, for sure. He's making some very deliberate production choices that are kind of like maybe at the time might have seemed they seem creaky now. They're anachronistic. They're there's there's something kind of like almost comical about some of the choices, even in two thousand. To yeah. this, some of it was kind of like, oh, I remember when like Los Lobos did something like this in the '90s, you know? Like, yeah. But Ashes but- to Ashes, starting off, to me, I had two thoughts about it. One, it's it kind of felt like it was trying to capture that kind of American recordings yeah. vibe of, uh, of of cash of, uh, of cash. But I also too was like, how did Corn not cover this? Like, <laughs> that is a Corn song, yeah, that they could cover, no problem. Yeah, yeah it's. I mean, it's it's a pretty minor criticism I have because this is one of my favorite Steve Earle albums, and I think it includes some of the best songs he's ever written. You're right that uh, the kind is that is one of my favorite Steve Earle songs. It's so good, ever. It's so good. I remember you. Yeah, really. That's a, a kind of like again. It's like one of those like hurting me, hurting you almost, where it's like just quietly devastating. Another one of my favorite songs, one of my favorite Steve Earle songs is on this album, What's a Simple Man to Do? I love that song. It's like one of his story, one of his narrative songs. Yeah. yeah. What I found super interesting about this album, which I didn't hear as much as the other things that we've did, we've always been like, oh, this kind of reminds me of this. Oh, this kind of reminds me of that. Kind of as a broad umbrella term. I'm hearing almost intentional or not like direct influences, like What's a simple man to do? Sounds like an Elvis Costello song to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what, what, is it the best we can do? America V6.0? Is that the one that kind of sounds like Dire Straits, Money for Nothing? It sounds like Money for Nothing, and it sounds like Jumping Jack Flash. It's yeah. like, it's like yeah, a little it bit does. of both. Yeah, and Shadowland. I mean, that just sounds like if Bruce Springsteen actively wrote a song while he was suicidal. <laughs> yeah, Shadowland and Jerusalem both sound like Springsteen songs. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. such a great way to end the album. Oh, too. yeah. Oh, for sure. I love the line in America 6.0 where he says cheating on our taxes is the best that we can do. Yeah. Like, because at that point, it, that was true. Like, that's that's really all you could do to go against the government. Like, we were barely even protesting back then. There were a lot... <sighs> There's a lot of protesting back then, but well, actually, no, it, it was have been coming. Until, it was coming. It was coming, and it, well, it's because what happened was, you know, ninety nine, two thousand, up to September eleventh, really, even two thousand one, had several like mass mobilization, direct action protests, but like the anti globalization movement was going on, and after nine eleven, it was all kind of shut down because of you know, yeah. Well, I mean, they fucking at one of the G, I can't even remember if G8, maybe in Italy, they killed a protester. And uh, I think one of, I think a protester died in Canada in 2002. But yeah, there was, whoops, 
Yeah, don't start talking about Shit. stuff like that, Andy, if you don't want stuff to happen Sorry. to you. Yeah. There, yeah. there were protests, but yeah, I feel like this was a Patriot Act. Like, the cops uh, were, were starting to coordinate uh, about this these protests. So, like, yeah, maybe you're right. There, there kind of wasn't a lot going on until until the war. Yeah, until the war. And this song was actually the impetus for the entire album because the song was originally written for the movie John Q. Did anyone ever see John Q? Oh, wow. I, I, did, I saw that in your notes, but I didn't even remember this movie. I have a vague recollection of it now that you mention it, but I, no, I've never seen it. Here's two things about John Q. One, well, I feel like that movie was later, though, right? No, John Q. Andy, are Am you are you really are you really um actualing me about? Nope, you're right. <laughs> this podcast that I've been researching for like three years. I'm just look. Sorry. Sometimes. Who right. do you think I heard that from? Uh, uh, can you check your source on that, Adam? Not everything's just on a TikTok video, okay? Some of that's misinformation. Some of us are a little more educated about John Q. And some of us are named Andy Sell. I didn't mean it. I was not that adamant or hostile. I was just like, in my head, I thought, I feel like that's a later movie. And I was wrong to do so. And I can admit when I'm wrong. I'm sorry, Adam. Hey, John Q is time appropriate. You are correct. I, I'll I'll never do it again. Apology accepted and Uh, appreciated. That's a pretty gaslighty apology. He's like really not taking a, (laughs) he's not taking a lot of ownership for his part in it, but okay. So yeah, it was written for the John (laughs) Q soundtrack. (laughs) And one thing about John Q, it's a very good movie. And I feel like the reviews for that movie are a healthcare industry plot because it has a fucking 23% on Rotten Tomatoes and that movie rules. It's so not only does it rule, it had a $33 million budget made $110 million. So $110 million worth of Americans were just fucking wrong about that movie being good. And mysteriously, every critic hated it. It's like that's a 300% return on investment. And if you read the reviews, it's stuff like, well, they really hit you over the head with the message. It's like, oh, really? The movie about a guy holding hospital staff hostage so they will operate on his son who he can't afford to save? Yeah, they should have been more subtle with that. Also, Where's the romance? Too, that's uh, that's literally how storytelling works. You, you have to really make sure your message is in the story. It's a good idea. Yeah. Andy, you look bummed. I just don't remember the movie that well. I've seen it, but I don't I don't remember well I don't remember it well enough to really have an opinion on it. Yeah. It's good. Okay. I, like well, I haven't seen the it. The gaslighting with this when it comes to this movie, Andy. I don't know why everything with you is about like putting the the impotence on other people and not taking any ownership. Oh, I, look, at this point I just don't want to say anything I'm not 100% certain of. All right. So who has good ideas in your opinion? Denzel Washington. Good. I like that. That's true. Not the producers of this movie, however, because that song you were talking about uh, from the record. America 6.0. Yes, yes. The one we like. <laughs> yes. They, and I do, I like that song a whole lot. It was supposed to play over the end credits of that movie, but because 9-11 had just happened like in the midst of making that movie, by the time it came time to release it, the producers were like little too critical of the Bush administration. So we can't play that over the end credits. 
that's Steve Earle decided to just build a whole album around it then, which is a very Steve Earle move. Yeah, true, and especially like I'm going to shoot a copy of your movie with a 50 cal. <laughs> that does seem like something he would do, being that he has done other versions of that, or at least threatened to. But I love that. Not that that song is tame, but it is not the most aggressive song on that record. No. Well, that that's that. I think that's kind of the trajectory it went from there because we know what kind of guy Steve Earle is. So like, if you say easy well, going, fun to be around, yeah, yeah. Uh, happy definitely to- not confrontational. <laughs> like if you tell him, Hey, this song is a little too critical of the Bush administration. It's not like he's going to go, Oh, you think that's critical. I'm going to make a whole album. That's even more fucking critical. How do you like that short guy? Yeah, no, he's most likely just going to be like, well, I don't have a driver's license anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> Like, what does that you have to do with it? keep me on the phone, Mr. Hollywood executive, <laughs> so I don't show up to your house. But, yeah, that, that's that's his typical trajectory is, oh, you think that is criticizing the Bush administration? Uh, wait till what happens next. And, boy, is what happens next a fucking doozy. Do we want to talk about any other songs on this album before we move on to the song? Uh, yeah, I thought it was, I think The Seeker is a weird song because I didn't picture him to be much of a Quidditch Harry Potter guy. I thought that was just a strange <laughs> topic for him to. I, I do want to say, I think I like the truth a lot. I think that's another one of his like, you know, songs from like a prisoner's perspective, which is a thing he does a lot. It's, it's good. I love the last line. You're just scared of uh, the me that's in you or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and it's really strong songwriting on this album. A lot, especially the second half. A lot of those songs are some of my favorite Mm -hmm. Steve Earle songs. And I thought "Go Amanda" reminded me of the band a lot. It had a very band feel to me. Well, and is this the song? I saw Cheryl Crow has a credit on this song. Oh, yeah. I wonder if she's just singing background i don't know because she it's weird in the personnel on the wiki at least she's not listed in the personnel for any of the songs on the album but like she's in a parenthetical after the song title in the track list which leads me to believe maybe she co-wrote it yeah it could be she and steve earl i'm assuming this happened around the same time but he has an album called side tracks which is all of his like stuff that wasn't on albums that he did for soundtracks in a lot of cases. And I don't know what it's for, but he and Cheryl Crow have a cover of Time Has Come Today. Whoa. Which is actually very good. I love that song. He's also got a really great cover of Breed by Nirvana on that album. Whoa. Oh, yes, I've heard that. I heard that back when we were doing um, Heart Shaped Pod. I think you brought it in when we were doing like the covers thing. Yeah, he, he did that because at this point in history, his manager was... Danny Goldberg, or I think the head of his record label was Danny Goldberg, who was Nirvana's manager once they got huge. Hmm. And so he recorded this cover of Breed as like a birthday gift to Danny Goldberg. And it's on that Sidetracks album. It's really fucking good. So yeah, that, I'm, I'm assuming that's how Sheryl Crow ends up on this album, but I still, I'm not 100% sure what she did. It's a good song though. Go Amanda's yeah. a really good song. But then there's, then there's another song on this album that we <laughs> we haven't talked about uh, i would like it known i have links to six different articles about this song that's how much coverage this got it's called john walker's blues it is possibly the most controversial song written in reference to 9-11 it was released in july 
So two months before this album came out, it's released July 2002. So not even a year after 9-11. <laughs> Travis, were you going to say something? No, I, that, that's just, um, I, I was doing the timeline of Steve Earle while we were doing this. So that's also when he makes his television debut as an actor. Like he has so much going on in July of 2002. Oh, wow. That's when he's also debuting on The Wire as a character he'll replay for many episodes. Wait, was that in 2002? Yeah, it's in the first season. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting. Imagine, because that had to have happened prior to this song coming out. Imagine you, you have cast Steve Earle in the first season of your show that you hope is going to be a huge, huge hit on HBO. And then you find out one of your cast members wrote a Sort of sympathetic song about John Walker Lind, the American Taliban. That that had to worry them a little bit. Knowing what I know about uh, David Simon, though, as a as a fan, I don't know. I think he kind of likes that. Like, what's amazing to me about this song? Yeah, that could be. Is that I I I, I view it as kind of this kind of thing that Steve Earl only Steve Earl could do. It's so bold in its storytelling and its subject matter, but I don't feel it's an affront or like an artifice. I feel it is honest that I feel it is grounded in a reality of him telling a story. Yeah. And it's, it, it's a very brave thing to do when you consider what the climate was like after nine 11, they were talking like, remember immediately after nine 11, this huge list of songs that people should stop playing comes out. And we as a country were like, yeah, I don't want to hear down by 311 anymore. And I that was the opinion I held, but not because of 911. I just fucking hate <laughs> yeah. 311. Yeah, you didn't it wasn't 911 you didn't like. It was 311 you didn't like. <laughs> and 311 was an inside job, no question. Hey, inside Nebraska <laughs> cuz they're from Omaha. Mhm. So, yeah, he puts this song out, and this is six months before the Dixie Chicks, like, legitimately get canceled for about three years for uh, criticizing George Bush from the stage at a show in England. And Steve Earle puts this song out. Boy, do people not take kindly to it. But if you go read, like, if you really read up on people's responses to it, I would argue it was more 50-50 where there were like not even just country music outlets because there were even a lot of country music outlets that were like this is what country singers do like what do you want but there was definitely some controversy holy shit what's what's everyone's feelings on this song i i absolutely love it to be honest it's it's so engaging and interesting and it was the whole john walker lind story from my experience was sensationalized in the news. There's an American Taliban and then no one talked about it anymore. Mm -hmm. I never yeah. heard about the trial. I never heard about what happened to him unless you go and actually actively look to find that stuff. The coverage went away. So to hear this point of view of what he imagines, what it took for a guy who didn't have to become a member of this group, who didn't have to take up this cause, what that transformation is like. It, yeah, it's bold and brave and all of that. It's also expert level storytelling that can only, I think, come from somebody who's a master of their craft. Yeah. And it it's really kind of similar to what we were talking about on the Woodstock episode last time around. Like the point of view Steve Earle is, I guess, imagining this happened from is there's this kid, he's a teen, and this literally comes up in the song. Everything he sees around him is like pop and things that don't really identify with him. 
So he goes looking for something that speaks to him. And, you know, for some people that was Limp Biscuit, And for this kid, it was Islam. And he came to Islam through rap music. So, like, it's not that different. Like, it's just, he just, something else clicked with him than with most of, most American teens at that point. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's the alien, story of alienated youth and angry young men. And, you know, it's, it's like, it's, the song does a lot to, I mean, humanize this guy who had been demonized in the press. And I think that that's a big part of Earl's whole deal. It's like, whether or not, regardless of the politics of what was going on at the time, which, I mean, you can't really divorce the two, but, like, Steve Earle's thing a lot of times is writing songs from these perspectives that are sort of underdog perspectives, alienated people, people who are left behind in one way or another by institutions and, and the social order. And so, like, just in that, it fits very much with Steve Earle's whole thing, especially when he's writing these, like, narrative songs. But, you know, then you add this other element and it becomes a whole other. That's when it's like, oh, no, this is brave. This is this is this is kind of a ballsy thing to do here. And it's a great. Yeah, it's a great song. I love it. It made me want to look more into the John Walker Lynn story. He's out of prison now. A lot of the more serious charges against him were dropped. Like in terms of charges, most of his charges were dropped dropped yeah it's a it's a very if you can believe it the american government and media were being a little misleading about (laughs) what john walker lind was actually up to not that it was great but he wasn't he wasn't gonna suitcase nuke us anytime soon that's for sure no but he got out of prison basically right as a pandemic started so he lost 20 years of his life and then came out to the world that we have now I, just, I don't know i found that fascinating that's probably why the government started covid that makes sense just to punish him it's all We're, john we Walker's are fault. we are joking the government did not start covid in case some yeah, random not, our, not random. our government a different government <laughs> <laughs> right right that's yeah, what we're yeah, yeah 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 imagine this being the lead single for your album in july 2002 while like, you're making your a uh, critical HBO series debut. It's like, it's such a bold move. There's a story in one of the articles we linked to about him talking to Elvis Costello around this time. Speaking of one of his songs sounding like Elvis yeah, Costello, he, he describes the chorus of this song to Elvis Costello, which is he's singing the phrase, there is no God, but God. And he's singing it in Arabic. It is a recitation of Surah 47, Verse 19 of the Quran. Boy, did country music radio not like that shit. Really? Why? Yeah. Can you imagine? I'm kind of shocked. I thought they were into religion. Uh, no, it's, it's just hard to <laughs> sing along to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's annoying, if nothing else. It's not the catchiest part of the Quran. You know, it's like you need the Quran chorus. If you really yeah, want why can't, to get every, Why yeah. can't his chorus just assimilate? I'm doing I'm I'm being Bubba right now. I'm oh, speaking from the perspective sp- of country music radio uh trying to empathize and i can't i i have no sympathy <laughs> or empathy for them at all it's weird all songs gotta be in english you can't spell chorus without us come on now <laughs> i mean in their defense that is true so the u.s part right right right, right. okay one of the biggest criticisms of this was this nashville radio dj really prominent dj named steve gill he when the song came out said steve earl was in the same category as jane fonda and john walker 
and all those people who hate America. And then he said, we'll give it airplay once, and then it's going into the dustbin of history where I it lo- belongs. I love how these motherfuckers are never going to let Jane Fonda go. It gets just like, sh- like yeah. There are people now who hate Jane Fonda who don't even know who she is, guaranteed, because it's just, like that is such an age old hatred for these fucking assholes. Yeah, Gloria Steinem too. Like, ask anyone who hates Gloria Steinem right now. Well, what did she do? <laughs> I don't know. What I find interesting is that if this is so offensive to Mister Gill, why would you play it once at all? Yeah, that's that's a perfectly valid question that's you know everyone gets to hate america for four minutes travis yeah i hate america a lot (laughs) you just you just can't do it all the time it's like crack oh you know right right right. you start doing it all the time you turn into 90s steve earl early 90s yeah hating america is like disneyland if you go to disneyland a few times a year it's not weird if you go to (laughs) disneyland all the time you don't have friends anymore Travis, do you not have friends anymore? None. <laughs> I mean, I hate America all the time, so at least you get the haunted mansion. Oh, the White House? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oof. Good one. Some of these clowns up at Congress. Hey, hey. Uh, talk about a doom buggy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Bunch of knuckleheads. This DJ also claimed Steve Earl did this to rescue his, quote, altering career which is absolute bullshit steve earl was on fire at this point in his career he had just like travis mentioned joined the cast of the wire which was going to go on to be one of the most beloved and respected tv shows in history his last album before this transcendental blues nominated for a grammy the album before that the mountain with Del McCurry band, I believe won a Grammy. So his career was not faltering, which makes his decision to do this even crazier. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's either crazy or bold. Like it's, it's yeah. I can't tell which it is. I just respect an artist who gets himself into a position like this, where it's like, Oh, that now that I've got all this fame and notoriety and success, uh, you know what I'm going to do? <laughs> I'm gonna do this because it's also it's like he's still kind of just doing what Steve Earle does like he's never he's never not been principled he's never not been like even when he was having the bad times like it was like yeah I'm still gonna be true to myself yeah whether whether it's what I wonder is does he have foresight or is he just lucky because if you were listen to this maybe in 2002 maybe it does push a lot of buttons because all those wounds are fresh 19-ish years later listening to it it's an amazing snapshot of the time and an amazing story and an amazing um, piece of art that I think is is fascinating I mean and it's all still shockingly relevant like the record is still very mm-hmm. relevant it's mm-hmm. still very much like oh it's still this way yeah the I would argue in that respect it's worse because yeah. now you're getting a lot of young people instead of turning to Islam, they're turning to like QAnon and becoming vaccine deniers and shit. And it's that it's born out of that same thing. People fucking searching for a community on the internet, which was supposed to bring us all together, but it just shattered us into a billion, billion pieces. Well, it put and, us basically in two camps. It just was like, you're either this side or this. Like, it's just, it's like a line. It's a line in the sand. And that's what is so interesting about the criticism of this song. It was not 
like it was like aliens landed and we were like, all right, time to team up and fight this. Like CNN fucking hated it. Everyone on like people on both sides were very, very yeah. critical of this song. Well, even the, I mean, I, even the liberals at this time were still like, you know, rah, rah America. Like it was, they weren't yeah. the left, you know, they were, these were people that were like, oh yeah, those kids in Seattle got what was coming to them. Like, Oh, right. So they're not yeah. going to be understanding of this shit either. And there's there's an especially, I mean, it's not a controversial line, but if you were a conservative Christian when this song came out, it certainly was, uh, where he says, if I should die, I'll rise up to the sky, just like Jesus, peace be upon him. And so, so many conservatives were like, why would you bring up Jesus in a song like that? That's because, man, Jesus is revered in Islam, and it's valid to bring him up. You are just too dumb to know that. You're too much of a bigot who's never even looked into this thing that you hate so much to know that, yeah, they don't hold Jesus in the same regard that you do, but they hold him in a pretty high regard. And I also take that line, my personal interpretation of it was, here is somebody who was raised Catholic and in the song is changing their alliances and is pushing the new ideology on the past. Peace be upon that person that I no longer yeah. agree with, but I'm not holding hate towards that person at this moment. I found it really fascinating, that particular verse. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating song. He, uh, for some reason, didn't do a ton of interviews about I wonder this why. song. <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah, weird. But he did put out this statement at one point. He said, I don't condone what John Walker Lynn did, my son Justin is almost exactly Walker's age. Would I be upset if he suddenly turned up fighting for the Islamic Jihad? Sure, absolutely. Fundamentalism, as practiced by the Taliban, is the enemy of real thought and religion, too. But the culture here didn't impress him, so he went looking for something to believe in. I'm not trying to get myself deported or something. In a big way, this is the most pro-American record I've ever made. I feel urgently American fuck yeah yeah this guy rules he's great also i i I don't think his son justin is with us anymore i believe he passed away yeah he did yeah yeah justin towns earl well uh are we gonna talk about that on an episode i mean we kind of have to but he makes a whole record about it yeah yeah Yeah. it's not gonna be a funny episode i promise you that not even a little bit in a rare moment for steve earl's career as a musician he was super duper supported by the record label in all of this it was danny goldberg once again who issued this statement the song does not glorify john walker lind it would be a pretty shallow culture if songwriters only wrote about nice people anyone who listens to the jerusalem album will discover that steve earl remains a thoughtful singer who has chosen to incorporate current events into his poet's vision. That's your boss supporting the shit out of you right there. I've and never had a boss say something that nice about me. Yeah, never. But, but only because I was better at them than their, <laughs> at their job. But while it's a little flowery in its approach, it is accurate. I mean, that yeah. was my experience listening to the record and that song in particular. Danny Goldberg is the one who suggested he make this into an album after the song uh, America 6.0 got pulled from John Q., Wow. It was Danny Goldberg's idea to just build an entire super political album around it. Danny G, King Maker. So right? in this, and that was in the summer of 2001. Yeah. 
Yeah. Here's what America needs right now. Uh, things are real calm right now. <laughs> really push the buttons. What if Danny? What if Danny Goldberg was just like, man, I'm tired of running a record label. What if I'm Danny gonna have Goldberg- Steve Earle put out a political <laughs> album that should take care of it, and uh, that should end us, and I can just go retire. What nope. if Danny Goldberg does a full Mission Impossible face pull, and it's Courtney Love underneath? That would be horrifying. It would I- be like that video of the horse looking at someone wearing a horse mask, and then they take it <laughs> off, and the horse is like, "Whoa, shit!" It would be that. Steve Earle said he wasn't keen on the idea of writing this album. He said he thought it would be boring. But then, quote, September 11th happened, and I basically found myself writing the record that I told Danny I probably thought I wouldn't write. (laughs) That sounds like a Steve Earle thing, too. Like, no, I'm not going to do that, man. And go home and do it and be like, look at this idea I had. Great. Yeah, that is Wow. So it predates 9-11. Then 9-11 happens. And now Steve's like, I'm on board. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. This is a good time to criticize the Bush administration. Let's go for it. But, uh, you know. Yeah, probably when Danny Goldberg was maybe backpedaling a little bit. Maybe that summer, maybe, you know, what about a feel-good song? What about, like, oh, uh, I really like buildings. How about a song uh, about buildings? I want to hear the voicemail he left for Steve Earle on September 12th. Hey, so, you know, we were talking about that record. I was thinking maybe you're kind of right. Steve Earl's like, no, now I'm in. How about a bluegrass thing again? That was fun, right? I could do a bluegrass record about how much I hate America. (laughs) Oh, no. There's no place for America in bluegrass. (laughs) Steve Earl did mention uh, he, he tacked on another thing to the end of that quote about writing a political album he added i still write more songs about girls than anything else and still holds true on this album even there's a really controversial line in the song conspiracy theory also that people didn't take kindly to when he says every tower crumbles and he's referring to (laughs) empires of course that's that's the imagery he went with People didn't like that. He said this in one of his rare interviews about this album, talking to The Guardian. Nobody remains the most powerful country in the world forever. The United States is making a huge mistake by carrying itself as if it's going to be. Every country in Western Europe has been the most powerful country in the world for at least 30 seconds. And there's a strength in living through an empire and realizing that there's life after it. But we're not there yet, and our grandchildren are going to pay for it. Facts! Yep, yep. He he nailed that. There's something about Steve Earle that is, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's because it's this storied history that we've talked about. I just feel like the normal things that you would be concerned or give a shit about, he doesn't have time for or it doesn't enter his mind. He's just a completely unfiltered person. Yeah, like in every way, mm-hmm. it seems like. And it... You know, at some point, like one of the things he mentions is, you know, in the big scheme of things, he's still relatively obscure. Sure. Mm -hmm. So he can he can get away with things other people kind of couldn't. Like if Elvis Costello put out John Walker's blues. Oh, that would be the end of Elvis Costello. He's Mm -hmm. lucky he survived calling Ray Charles the N word in 1978. People forget that. But how how hard Can you recover from accusations of racism harder than by eventually recording an album with The Roots? Like, he really bounced back from that scandal. My God. So uh, He was like, DMX gave me permission. (laughs) Yeah, he was at Woodstock. (laughs) He just held it up for me. (laughs) Uh, Steve Earle, in that same interview, talked about 
the other music responses to 9-11, Springsteen had already put out The Rising by this point, and he was like, yep, that's Springsteen doing what Springsteen does. We need Springsteen to do that. Because The Rising is a very hopeful and kind of upbeat album. Very good, too. But then there's Toby Keith, who put out that Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue song. Jesus fucking Christ. In parentheses, The Angry American. That's the song where he promises that the U.S. is going to put a boot up the Taliban's ass. And it's like, we're going to try for about 20 years, and it's not going to get all the way up there, and then we're just going to leave. By the way, update on that. (laughs) Taliban is gaining ground very quickly. Yeah, we learned nothing Mm -hmm. from Russia invading Afghanistan at all. Anyway, this is Steve Earle's quote about that Toby Keith song. That record embarrasses me, but I don't even think there's really a political component in it. It's like playing in Fort Worth and saying, we played Dallas last night, and it's sure good to be back in Texas. It's pandering to an audience, but doing that in this atmosphere is dangerous. I have a fear that someone with dark skin and clothing different to what people wear in Tennessee might get hurt because of that song. (laughs) It scares me, and it's really poorly written, apart from anything else. He nailed it. Yeah. Like, that is what fucking happened. And, like, maybe it's not directly Toby Keith's fault, but... Uh, I think it's pretty directly Toby Keith's fault. It is kind of like playing a a cover of Fire while Woodstock is burning down. (laughs) I was just going to say, the blame that Fred Durst gets for Woodstock 99, Toby Keith should get for everything that happened in the wake of 9-11. Toby Keith is the physical embodiment of playing Fire during Woodstock 99. (laughs) Um... Just because we mentioned Springsteen a little bit, and because we're talking about songs that are super polarizing and political, Springsteen had played 41 shots in 2001, Mm. um, which kind of got him in a lot of political trouble. People were trying to boycott him for uh, what that song was about. So it's also because that was NYPD and Springsteen's whole fan base is like New York, New Jersey. (laughs) But still... 41 shots like imagine thinking springsteen's on the wrong side of history right yeah in that debate like that that's a case where i guarantee springsteen doesn't mind shedding those fans like even when trump started first started campaigning on the unpopular opinion podcast i talked about it all the time and people were like when did this become a politics podcast fucking stop talking about trump and get back to letting off an air horn every time someone says genocide. And I was like, no, like the, it's, it's a different time. Yeah, this is yeah. what, this is what we're fucking doing now. Yeah. And I, we lost a lot of listeners as a result of that. And I don't fucking care. Like I'm not, I worked with, I, I mentioned this a lot. I, one of my former coworkers, I won't name him, but after uh, Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson tweeted a thing and said, I'm tired of worrying about alienating fans. Black lives matter. It's like you were worried about alienating racists in your career prior to this. That's not a great look. Yeah. Like you, didn't, you didn't need to say that out I loud, I saw a dude. lot of people doing that shit uh, last year. A lot of the like, I don't mm-hmm. care if you unfollow me for this opinion. And it's like, maybe don't make that the thing. Maybe yeah. just say the, the say Black Lives Matter. Say like abolish the police say these things that you think don't make it about whether or not you're going to lose fans because that right there is why i don't like you right yeah. if you're sick if you have if your virtue needs to be signaling then um yeah uh, is it there yeah 
Right. Yeah, it's it's gross. I mean, but at the same time, yeah, like we, we always got to recognize the political climate you're in when you're talking about these things. And yeah, so I, yeah, I think Springsteen probably didn't give a shit. I know Steve Earle definitely didn't give a shit if he lost fans over it. Um, listen, I don't, I, maybe this will alienate some people who listen to this show, but I think syphilis bears matter. I agree. I do. I think they're really important. And I think people who uh, deny their existence need to be reprimanded. Mm, yeah, I think so. Let's not Syphilis. get look. This isn't a political podcast. <laughs> I don't want. <laughs> I don't want syphilis wanna, bear denial. You know, I don't have a problem with syphilis bears. I just don't want them shoved in my face all the time. You know, well, like then, when do we get? Well, Andy, would you give me a hug and let let the people know that the healing has started? I want to let people know that this is Travis doing a voice. This isn't an actual what? bear. There's no, no bear here. I'm bearing the syphilis bear. I don't know why you, you you don't think that my life and my existence doesn't matter. It's not that it doesn't matter. It's that it's not, it doesn't exist. <laughs> that's just, I mean, that's really hurtful. And I still love you and I still want to hug you. I, I, look, can I talk to Travis again? <laughs> is, Tra- is Travis in there somewhere? Andy, you're talking to yourself. <laughs> God damn it. I think what scares you is the you that you see in Syphilis Bear. Yeah, the, 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 the Syphilis Bear in me. So the Syphilis me. Bear in me recognizes the Syphilis Bear in you, and that's why I want to <laughs> hug you. So this controversy actually ends up going away kind of quick, and I think the Dixie Chicks probably had a lot to do with that because that thing happens like six months later. And again, Steve Earle is much smaller than the Dixie Chicks uh, in both audience size and stature if you've ever seen the dixie chicks in person huge enormous all of them six five or more it's crazy towering giants yeah same beards <laughs> as steve earl yeah nuts. yeah 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 uh so th- this album has been kind of lost to history like you don't you don't hear it brought up when the the horrors of the bush administration come up but it, no, we it all was, decided it, American a radical idiot piece is, of art for sure. But we all decided American Idiot was the takedown of 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 Bush era, right? Isn't that what collective pop culture decided? Yeah, yeah. They they rolled out the same band that killed Nirvana to, to take down <laughs> Steve Earle. Thanks, CIA. But this was a this was some radical shit at the time, and it is it still matters to history so much so that. I will link to a 17-page article from a uh, academic journal called Studies in Pop Culture that is all about the Jerusalem album. Like we did five pages of notes for this part. 17 pages. It's an interesting read hmm. and so an interesting list- album. Like I, 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 I got to be honest. I didn't listen to this album when it came out, but the hindsight. Uh, I wish I did. And it's really engaging. It's a really fascinating record. He wasn't done with the Bush administration either, because then his next album, I think, is his most overtly political album. And that is The Revolution Starts Now, which came out in 2004. And this is the point where I got on board with Steve Earle, because uh, he did that. I mentioned before he did a show in Sioux Falls. They played Copperhead Road, and I was like, oh, shit, I got to check this guy out. And that was around this time. So I got on board around The Revolution Starts Now. Might be my favorite Steve Earle album, but I like I Feel All Right a whole lot, too. Uh, What did everyone else think of The Revolution Starts Now? 
tonality wise, it is pretty similar to Jerusalem in terms of like what it sounds like. Um, engaging, but I've it's not as um, I guess the stories don't f- stitch stitch together as much as Jerusalem. Or am I wrong in that? It has less of that thing where like Jerusalem, that whole middle part is like not political either, mm. and I feel like that doesn't really connect the songs at the beginning and the songs at the end and i think it's that like he said he writes mo- he, he writes more songs about girls than anything so that's always gonna be on his albums and i think it happens here too there's, even if there's the a- song is about condoleezza rice <laughs> yeah we should i mean we should just kind of go through the songs because by this point he really wasn't given interviews about stuff he was just hating the bush administration in song like he's basically taunting the government on this album in a whole lot of spots first song the revolution starts now it's on the album twice opens and closes the album yeah because the, the the opening track it's just called the revolution starts dot 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 and it ends it's got that great ending where he you know the revolution starts pause now and then into the next track it's like an intro almost and then the outro version of it you know the, there's an actual proper like ending in the song I, it's a great album yeah i don't know uh, home to houston is probably my favorite bubba song yeah home to houston is one of my favorite steve earl songs i think it might be my favorite song on the album for one thing that guitar tone mm-hmm. i want all guitars to sound like that <laughs> yeah it's fucking great it's like it's crackling and uh yeah the this is i think one of his more compelling story songs yeah like the way he sets up this character the line about him uh driving through mountain roads and having ice water in his veins Mm -hmm. like that really paints a picture that helps you understand what happens next which is he gets to iraq working as a contractor and is like i am not ready for this Mm -hmm. this is i am way in over my head and it oh i love that song so much it's great it's great, and yeah, as far as like, and it's 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 great because it's one of his Bubba songs too, really. But it's yeah. it's got this whole other thing going on. Uh, I, Rich Man's War is uh, is you know any song that's about like how war is stupid and how everybody that dies in war is you know a poor person being fucking manipulated by rich people, and then the, the way that this song kind of turns it around at the end with the like, hey, also these suicide bomber characters are also doing, you know, they're also serving the interests of the, the elites. Uh, it's great. I, it's good. Warrior is God. That's an interesting warrior is amazing. It's like the kind of stuff I wanted to do around this time. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's just a, a spoken word piece. There's no chorus. There's just guitar on the chorus. It's just him kind of talking over, guitar noise but talking with purpose yeah. like he's he's explaining some shit it's so fucking weird and good yeah it's a poem and i don't know i don't want to know if i want to go through them one by one <laughs> but i, I mean i want to go back Travis to rich man's like he wants war to say i just want to yeah. say rich man's war kind of reminded me of like if credence made like a darker story like it has that kind of senator's son kind of vibe in terms of what it's talking about but uh that's i just wanted to say that about rich man's war that was one thing i wrote down oh yeah yeah. It reminds me a little bit of a Jason Isbell song that came out around this time called Dress Blues, which is the same thing. It's about a kid who went to Iraq because he was poor and came home dead. What a dark time that was. We yeah. were just like 70% of the com- 
country was just celebrating us committing war crimes in the Middle East. Yeah. It's nuts. But it was also the first war a lot of us had been a part of. Like, there'd been military actions. It was the first time we went to war for a lot of us. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I think we're all old enough to remember the Gulf War. Yeah. The first Gulf War. A lot of the same qualities as a lot of just, like, regular military interventions. It's, like, just Panama on, like, a larger scale. Yeah. It, it's just, like, we don't know war the way I feel like people during World War II knew war. Or, you know, like, 9-11, okay, sure, that's one thing where it's like, okay, well, they, you know, people can hit us too like we are not safe if that can happen but also like since then there hasn't been you know yeah we never had to be afraid of them coming you know them quote unquote the others coming over here and killing us as long as we're not actively signing up for well we also don't have the fear of a draft that's one thing that our generation has never had to deal with yeah i mean gringo's tale is uh a fun little mercenary song again like he's he's got this thing for writing songs about mercenaries at least he's done it twice this is like a gangster rap version of (laughs) a mercenary song because like it's the thing ice t would always say he's like yeah i'm glorifying the gangster lifestyle for about three minutes in the song and then it ends horribly for the person in question yeah and that's kind of what the gringo's tale is too where he's like hey i'm a mercenary and then by the end he's like tell mom i love her i'm fucked i'm i can't leave here condi condi i mean there's some problems with it (laughs) i think (laughs) it's kind of uh yeah there's a there's a handful of problems with condi condi um it's a for people who are unsure it is a uh or unaware it's uh kind of a love song to condoleezza rice but a love song written from the perspective of someone you can tell clearly does not love condoleezza rice <laughs> yeah 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 with yeah. some uh, i don't know some appropriative elements going on <laughs> a little bit yep is this supposed to be from like bush's point of view like this is how somebody in the white house is talking to her yeah, it's his. It's the anti Bubba character. He's doing uh, the well, W. It's still, it's still Bubba, but it's Bill Clinton it's, this it's time. It's W. Oh, Condi, <laughs> Condi, shake what you got for me, Condi. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now I F the CC. I had that. This is a song I I had heard before. So this is another Steve Earle song that I had like a previous knowledge of, like from this time. I remember this song yeah when i when i say it seems like he's taunting the government on this album this song is a prime example of that because he's fresh off this john walker's blues controversy and he follows that up by putting a song on his album where the chorus is fuck Fuck the the fcc fuck the cia fuck the fbi (laughs) living in the motherfucking usa living in the motherfucking (laughs) usa like Again, like he said about John Walker's blues, but I think in this case, even more so, it's one of the most patriotic songs he's ever written, because that is exactly what these fuck sticks who think they're being patriotic by not getting vaccinated are, are basically, that's the ground they're standing on is I'm a fucking American. I can do whatever I want. The difference is in this case, Steve Earle is right or technically should be right. Like that's one of the ways they sell America to the world is come here and say whatever the fuck you want yeah we prove time and time again that that's not at all true you can say whatever you want as long as you'll deal with the repercussions and say it to the right crowd yeah to bring up ice T again uh, one of his early albums is called freedom of speech just watch what you say because he had the whole cop killer controversy yeah. 
happening. Oh, yeah. Body, body count. count. Yeah. Body count was great. Yeah. I still have that tape somewhere. I do, too, with the one that says cop killer as the chest has to. Yeah. They, they reissued it where it said body count. They changed it. So I don't have I have the one where it says body count. I have the cop killer. I, I, I was an early adopter. <laughs> That's probably worth some money now. Probably. Because they deleted that album. So, like, any copies of it that exist are ones that people bought back when it came out. Oh, God, I got to see if I still got that. Yeah. Yeah, The Seeker, I thought, is a really good song. Boy, uh, really really brought out that C-level joke too early, didn't I? (laughs) (laughs) Does anyone have any other songs they want to talk about? (laughs) Let me look here. I mean, now we're in the point where it's like... I honestly, I gotta be honest with you. I don't really remember coming around. I thought you should know or the secret. One of them has Emmy Lou Harris on it, right? It's another coming. I thought coming you around know. has oh, Emmy Lou Harris. Coming on around it. is the other one with Emmy Lou Harris. It's good. Who's on? I thought you should know. There's no one on. I thought you should know. It's one of my favorite Steve Earle ballads. Oh, that's the one with the. If you're gonna break my heart, take your little pick up your little black dress and yeah, it's uh, that's a good that's a good song. That song is so good. Yeah. I think I I think I switched the titles of those songs in my head. I think I remember them differently. Yeah, it's it's an interesting choice on this album. Like it it kind of comes out of nowhere. It's re- it's pretty much the only ballad on the album and it it really sounds like some old-timey Everly Brothers <laughs> shit. It's so fucking good. I like it so much. It's one of my favorite That's this album and the last album, Jerusalem, have a lot of my favorite Steve Earle songs on them. Here's something I want to talk about. Why do we think there was not as much anti-Trump music as there was anti-Bush music? And I know there's someone's going to tweet at me and be like, this obscure punk band from my neighborhood wrote an anti-Trump song. And like, I get that there are exceptions. Fucking Nipsey Hussle probably got murdered over making an anti-Trump song. Just joking. I know that's not why he got murdered. But there wasn't much. When you compare it to the Bush years, everyone was making anti-Bush songs. And I have a theory. It's because we devalued music. We decided at one point as a country that our national motto was, I don't pay for music. I deserve to have it free. And now we just have Spotify. So we have access to all the music in the world. And it doesn't matter to us anymore. So even if there were anti-Trump songs, no one's going to fucking care. I mean, I think that's maybe part of it. I also don't think there was as much anti-Bush music as we like to remember. I think that. Oh no! I I think you're just not remembering correctly. I'm remembering a lot of artists that I listened to. I think you remember the music that I listened to was pretty obscure, like as far as like on the big scale. So maybe I just wasn't exposed to a lot of the larger, you know, bigger pop artists doing anti-bush music because i remember the rock against bush didn't even come out till 2004 and it's like he'd already been doing shit for three years by then well that's because rock against bush was a fundraiser or a, yeah. like a campaign trail thing i actually went to the minneapolis uh stop on oh. that show fucking neil young dropped in on bruce springsteen's set oh nice they played Rockin' in the Free World, and it was one of the most amazing nights of my life. But that was a whole tour of nothing but really high-profile musicians. And they even, like, there were two different versions. There was the Pearl Jam version that where they headlined, and then there was the Springsteen version where he headlined. Yeah. 
And like all of those bands had really prominent anti-Bush <clears throat> songs. Bright Eyes opened. It was the first time I'd seen Bright mm-hmm. Eyes. Bright Eyes has one of the best anti-Bush songs. It's called When the President Talks to God. Yeah, yeah. Oof. Well, that I'd- song... I had a bootleg of him playing that in concert before it came out. God damn, the crowd goes insane. It's so good. Here's what I I think is the reason that there's less Trump music, and this is just my experience. I think it's some of what you're saying, Adam. I think it's we devalued music, but I think that repercussion was there was less way to make money with music. So if you're going to lose 50% of your audience, it's such a huge risk now. And in addition to that, Bush was this thing that we could hate that we didn't engage with, whereas Trump was something that was so present in all of our lives. I think people wanted a break from it. Yeah. They wanted a way to have a distance from it. I I think that's, yeah, I think that that's maybe that's a big part of it is that Trump, we were, for one, we kind of didn't take him seriously. And also he only had one term. That's important to remember too, is that Bush had two terms. So there was bound to be more stuff just by volume but yeah i think that i think a big part of it was trump that you know a lot of the bush stuff was before the prevalence of like social media and that way of of people proliferating uh, other forms of media and news and i i think yeah i think a lot of it was like by the time trump it's like we we all know you don't have to make an al- a concept album about what a piece of shit Trump is because we all know he's a piece of shit and we fucking hate him and we're sick of I'm his still face just, and we're sick of his name. I'm still just surprised that no one did it though. <laughs> like even if we didn't need it, like yeah. it's just it's just surprising to me that there was like because when you compare Trump and Bush, like the fear surrounding Trump was so much worse because what Bush was doing. It, Like, for all intents and purposes, sure, they were cracking down on our freedoms here and whatnot, but what Bush was getting up to was in another land, and it didn't really impact Mm -hmm. us. But Trump, Trump was a threat to us. And I I think that's, again, I think that's part of it, of why, is that is why there was less because well well to i mean uh i'll put my conspiracy theory hat back on but this isn't me saying this i I read an interview with a rapper named lil boozy Mm -hmm. and uh someone asked him why why didn't you make more anti-trump music and his response was because trump will send the cia to kill me i was gonna say (laughs) beer the man is is nothing if not petty and when you have a petty person in charge of a army that's bad yeah yeah i don't know I just I wish there would have been, or maybe like, it's because he was Steve Earle didn't a, either. Like there was no anti-Trump album from Steve Earle. Maybe even. it's because he was such a great president, and we just were blind to it because of all of the media lies. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe music is the real news media. Oh yeah, I get all my news from music. <laughs> I think Same. there was also just so much more going on during. You know, it's it's like Trump. You know, with the Bush administration, it was like okay, well we can. It's Bush and the things that he's doing. That's the problem. Under Trump, it's like you had Proud Boys, you had, uh, you know, the cops, police yeah. violence, you know. I mean, like, that, not that you didn't have these things before necessarily, but like these things were kind of taking some of the attention and spotlight that maybe would have gone to Trump otherwise. And, and then, you know, for the last year of it, we had a fucking pandemic. So I don't know. I, I bring up Steve Earle not having written anything in response to what's happening in the country now but part of that probably also has to do with the fact that he did like 10 years before 
Trump. Mm-hmm. Or maybe maybe a little. No, it was probably more than 10 years before Trump. But the album after the revolution starts now is called Washington Square Serenade, which very interesting album. He made it with the Dust Brothers. Oh. And it's all break beats and then him playing live music over them. And there's a song on that album called City of Immigrants because he... Uh, for some reason, after the revolution starts now, moved out of Nashville and moved to New York City. And he's got a song on that album called City of Immigrants that is super duper pro-immigrant and is like, hey, how about we take it easy on immigrants? We're all immigrants, technically. So in that way, he was way, way ahead of his time because that that was during the Obama administration, a time when way more people should have been saying, hey, how about we take it easy on all those immigrants you're deporting? Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, why isn't there any anti-Biden music right now? Because that guy's doing fucking everything Trump was doing. Which shouldn't be a surprise. No, it's. I mean, it's anyone. absolutely not a surprise. I mean, you know, it's absolutely not a surprise. But some of the things are. I mean, he still hasn't passed the Equality Act. The whole reason I was like, I got it. When I'm voting for him, I got to tell myself I'm voting for Parks and the Equality Act, and that's fucking it. I've got no illusions about the rest. But he's even done that shit. Yeah. Oh, America version seven point oh. Is that the one we're on, we're on maybe now? Maybe six point yeah. five. Six point nine. Oh, nice. Yeah. Travis, it's like the sex thing. I get what Andy it. just said. Also, it was the year of the first Woodstock, so it all ties together. Nice. Very nice. So, yeah, people, I, I would recommend both of these albums. They're, they're very, very good. Uh, listen to the rest of Steve Earle's albums. Like, he's been, he's been very consistent with putting out material this entire time. Just like, there's like 10 more albums after this one but a little mm-hmm. quiet about trump mr earl interesting mm-hmm. mm. yeah he uh in his defense also he's had a lot going on yeah. uh yeah. towns van zant died guy clark died his kid died i'm assuming he got married and divorced four or five times in the 2000s True. so oh i wanted to bring up one thing that i thought was really interesting it's it's steve earl tangent e i suppose so um I watched this documentary called The Last Days. I think his name was about the guy from Pentagram. And oh, shit. Yeah. The guy from Pentagram is essentially kind of the doom metal version of Steve Earle. Just drugs, 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 drugs. Ends up living in his parents' basement. Everybody gives up on him. And he kind of pulls in and out of it and kind of tries to get back together. It makes what Steve Earle has done even more impressive, where he's put that part of his life behind him. And I, I just kept thinking about that while I watched it. It's, it's, it's really fascinating that this guy who had such a problem, especially in this era of his career that we're talking about now is so prolific and so interesting and insightful with what he's doing while maintaining his sobriety. And I think mm-hmm. that's really cool. And maintaining it through coronavirus, the death of his yeah, son, yeah, yeah, which yeah. happened during coronavirus, the uh, death of, Guy Clark, Towns Van Zant. So yeah, Steve Earle's been dealing with some shit. And again, he, I do believe, is writing an autobiography Ooh. that it looks like is coming out in 2022. So uh, be on the lookout for that. That's going to be really fucking interesting. True. But yeah, until then, oh, what are we going to talk about next? Maybe we'll do the Wives episode next. Ooh. That's going to be a 18 parter <laughs> one for each wife yeah it's gonna be seasons two through four of the steve earl podcast do we have any final thoughts until then i do think i've noticed we we have we have 
missed this opportunity a handful of times now, and I just want to be on record so that I, we don't miss it again. Whenever we refer to the uncle that got Steve Earle to try heroin for the first time, we have been remiss in that we have never referred to him as a junkle. <laughs> and I feel like we should start uh, doing doing better. We have failed the audience up to this point, yeah. and I didn't even realize it. Yeah. No, none of us did. None of us did. Yeah. We can only see what's in front of us at the time, and, and, and sometimes it takes someone like Andy to, to point out what you're not looking at. Yeah. yeah. Takes, takes, uh, and I don't care our, how our many metaphor. followers or fans I lose <laughs> over pointing that out, because it's the truth, very, man. I tell the uncomfortable truths. It's very brave of you, Andy. Very brave. Oh, one, one more thing I want to mention. There's a, it's a really good documentary series in general on Netflix called This Is Pop. Oh, yeah, that's really uh, fun. Yeah, one, the auto-tune episode is amazing and will make you cry on T-Pain's behalf. There's also an Outlaw Country episode, and Steve Earle is featured in that Ooh. pretty prominently. Uh, that's, that's our episode, right? Yeah, right. sure. The revolution starts any- now. Yeah, he, he did miscalculate that a little bit. Yeah. The revolution has yet to start. I'm looking, looking at my watch like, that was 20 years ago almost. Yeah, the original album title had i hope in parentheses in front of <laughs> the revolution starts now the, what was it, it, it ended in a question mark the revolution starts <laughs> now no it's quotations it said in quotations it said the revolution starts now followed by is what i would say if i thought that the revolution would start now yeah it's like one of those 80 word fiona apple yeah. album titles <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. actually a paragraph about how the revolution's never gonna start yeah uh, but the promotions starts now, right? <laughs> right. You got anything to plug, Andy? I do not, other than look good for the boys and I guess go to school probably, <laughs> maybe. What's, I hope. <laughs> I love when people say, I don't have anything to promote. Anyway, here's my podcast. Here's my other podcast. <laughs> here's, here's my podcast and here's my <laughs> other podcast that might be coming back. Oh, people liked it, Andy. I know. I liked it. I still like it. I have two episodes that I've, I've been editing forever, just not. Charge yourself $25 an hour. <gasps> oh, yeah. Pay yourself. Oh, that'll yeah. do it. Yeah. For every hour you have to, yeah. And then you donate that money to charity. Okay. That'll get you to do it. <laughs> Will it? Who knows? Travis, do you have anything to I'm plug? trying to get a promotion at work, so I'd like to promote myself. <laughs> oh, very nice. Yeah. I don't have anything. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Travis. Travis, say goodbye. Good boy. Andy, say goodbye. I think you better quit talking that shit. I'm leaving with a fat lip. I'm living with a fat lip. You'll be leaving with a fat lip. Sure. Famous Steve Earl. (laughs) All right. Goodbye, everybody. We love you.